seeing as tax season is right around the corner, who has their fishing rods out? (laughs) I'd never thought about that one before until just now. It seems like every year goes by a little bit faster than the last one, doesn't it? That's, uh, I, I used to be a kid and I'd hear adults say that and I'd think, what are they talking about? <laughs> and now I'm here and it's happening. Um, I think as a kid, you, you never think it goes by quickly because that three, four weeks before Christmas seems to just drag on and on and on and Christmas never comes. But now it's the opposite. It's just like those three, four weeks before Christmas, you just snap your fingers and boom, it's gone and now the new year's upon us once more. And so it's important, I think, the older we get, to, um, to take extra time to stop and force ourselves to pause and reflect on what God has done, what he is doing, and what he has yet to do. And um, I think if we don't deliberately take time to pause, like on a Sunday morning, to just be in God's presence, life just blurs right by and we miss it. And we might miss what God really wants for us. And so it's so important to take time to just pause and and be in God's presence. It's so good to be here this morning and knowing that God is with us and to uh, reflect on what he has in store for us. So would you bow with me once more? Father in heaven, we thank you, and we thank you again that you're, you're here. Your presence is real, and that by your Holy Spirit, we have assurance in our hearts that we are your children through placing faith in your Son, the only begotten of the Father. We thank you, Lord, that as we've just come through the Christmas season, reflecting once again on your great gift to us, that it stirs our hearts again of your great love for us, that you love us so much to have gone to such a great length to save us. And so I pray that this morning, Lord, as we think back on a year that was and we look ahead to a a new year right before us, that we would just take time this morning and, and perhaps somewhere today or this next week to just pause and, and reflect on who you are and what you've done and what you have yet to do for us. Help us to not get so caught up in the busyness of life that we would lose you. Help us to remember you in all that we say and do. And now this morning, Father, I ask that you would strengthen my voice, speak through me, your servant, and the words that you've laid on my heart. May they speak to each one today as you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Psalm chapter 34 and verse 12, we read this. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. And I'm going to stop right there. Let me ask you, who of you desires to see many good days? A couple of you. The rest of you are like, eh, not so much. I hope we all desire to see many good days. And as we come to the end of 2017 and we evaluate these past 364 days, let me ask you a simple question. The verse started out with this, whoever of you loves life. So let me ask you, do you love life? Do you love life? Now just to be clear, let me give a little bit of clarification on that question. I'm not talking about the life that you hope to live in the future. I'm also not referring to the life that you may have lived at some point in the past. I'm talking specifically about the life you are living right now. Do you love the life you live? Now, quite likely, there are some of you here this morning who can reply with a cheerful and emphatic yes. I love the life I live. 
There may also be some of you here this morning who respond with, uh, eh, not so much. But I suspect that the majority of people present here today feel a little bit conflicted on how to respond. Because the truth is, there are parts of your life that you do love. But then there are also other parts of your life that you're maybe not so crazy about. Parts that you are perhaps even deeply dissatisfied with. Perhaps parts that you might even say you hate. Now it should come as no surprise that God desires for you to love the life you live. After all, he's the one who gave it to you. He's the one who, who made you and said, here is your life. And he is the one who sustains that life. Every breath in your lungs, every time your heart beats again, he is sustaining your life. And he's the one who also came to earth to save that life. He sent his own son to do that. So make no mistake about it. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that God loves your life. But do you, do I, love the life that God has given me? Perhaps a way to cut a little closer to the heart of what I'm trying to get at this morning would be to ask this question. Am I satisfied with the life I live? Am I satisfied? There's a a quote taken from the great boxer, Muhammad Ali. I'm sure most of you have heard of him. He's also known as Cassius Clay until he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. If you've never even heard of Muhammad Ali, you've probably heard something along the lines of um, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah, those are the sorts of things he was famous for. Well, he is arguably the most famous athlete who's ever lived certainly the most famous athlete of his generation. And as the undisputed champion in his prime, he was on top of the world. He was adored by fans and feared by his opponents. But much later on in life, suffering from severe Parkinson's disease, in a halting speech, Ali confessed, quote, I had the world, and it wasn't nothing. Maybe needs a little bit of grammar lessons there, but... I think we get the point. I had the world, but it wasn't nothing. So where are you looking for your satisfaction? Are you looking for it in work, hobbies, romance, pleasures, perhaps sexual in nature? Well, there was a man named King Solomon who excelled in the pursuit of all of those things and more. And he had more beautiful women than he could even remember their names of, I'm sure. And yet, King Solomon, at the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 to 11, said this, of it all. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." So here we see these two men, Muhammad Ali, lit up by the brightest spotlight of success, fame, and prosperity that the world can possibly shine on an individual. And he looked back on it all and said, I had the world, and it wasn't nothing. And King Solomon, who had even more than him, said, it was all chasing after the wind. And both men are telling us the same thing. The external things of this life, no matter how good they are, cannot truly satisfy us. You see, having true satisfaction with your life, loving the life God gave you, is much, much more than outer achievements or status or pleasure. 
It can only come from God. In Psalm 107, verse 9, we read this. He has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. Let me read that again. He has satisfied the thirsty soul. I would say looking back on Muhammad Ali, looking back on King Solomon, their, their souls were thirsty, and they recognized that thirst had not been quenched. But God's word says, He alone, He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. This deep soul satisfaction speaks of something much more than career achievements, popularity, sports triumphs, acres added, money gathered, Facebook friends collected, or the number of years lived. You see, in order to love the life you live, we must learn to live each day with God and for God, in obedience to God. So this is the first thing we need to do. We need to live life with God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, we read this. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That last line is what I'd like to focus your attention on. When we are separate from Christ, we are without hope and without God. You see, separation from Christ is to be without God, and to be without God is to be without hope. Make no mistake, there is no life with God apart from a relationship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Many, many people today are deceived on this key truth. And without getting into great detail this morning, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Hindu, the New Age spiritualist, and the moralist, and many more, believe that there is a way to God apart from Jesus Christ. But they are all wrong. As Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the way to the Father. No one can get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And the reason is that our sin separates us from God, and Buddha, Mohammed, and our own good deeds cannot remove our sins for us. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And only through faith in Jesus' completed work on our behalf on the cross, his resurrection from death, can we receive forgiveness of sins and the inner knowledge that we are now right with God. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, you know, Pastor Danny, I've already done that a long time ago. I've heard you explain this many times before. I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. He's forgiven my sins. He's in my life. I know all of that. And yet, there's still part of me that doesn't feel satisfied. There's still part of me in my life that's not fully content. I'm not fully loving the life I live, even though I have received Jesus as my Savior. Well, this leads us to our second point this morning. The first thing... To love the life you live is it must be lived with God. But the second one is also important. We must live for God. Living for God. This means that we stop pursuing the old things that we, saw, that we thought would satisfy. You see, one of the things that so many Christians do, and I've been guilty of this in my own life, is that we recognize that like Muhammad Ali and like King Solomon, we tried all these other things. And it didn't satisfy our souls, it didn't bring us peace, and we find, yes, it's only through Jesus Christ, and we give our lives to him, 
But then we go on and we continue living in those old things as though that's where our enjoyment's going to come from. As though Jesus was just a nice addition to life and I'm still going to do all those old things. But we have to leave the old things. We have to stop pursuing the old things that we once thought would satisfy. And start pursuing the things that God tells us will actually satisfy our souls. And the bottom line is this. This means that we must immerse ourselves in God's word, learn what it says about life, learn what God's word says specifically about my life, and then start obeying it. I want you to turn with me this morning to our main passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3. Here Peter, in in the first part of chapter 3, is giving uh, the early church, the early Christians, some practical instructions on how to live for God. These are people who have already made the decision to follow Jesus Christ, and he's now giving them further instructions on how to live that life. And in verses 10 to 12, he quotes the verse that I opened with this morning from Psalm 34. Verse, in verse 10, we read the same line, Whoever would love life and see many good days. Now, of course, like I said, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to love life? Who doesn't want to see many good days? Well, let's continue. He must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Now, this maybe isn't quite what we were expecting, was it? We were expecting maybe something a little bit more profound, a little bit more mysterious on on how we will find this deep love of life and see many good days, and yet he comes up with a very practical instruction, which is, again, quoting Psalm 34. To love life and see many good days means we must do very practical things in obedience to God and his word. And the first thing he lists is, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Peter is tying this thought back to what he had just wrote before in verse 9, where he said, Do not repay evil with evil, or insult with insult. Here Peter is pointing to the reality that evil and insults, no matter how small, will always escalate. There's a story told by Zig Ziglar of a successful big city businessman named Mr. B who ends up being late to work one day because of heavy traffic. And in the process, he misses an important phone call. And irritated at the traffic, angry that he had missed his phone call, Mr. B calls in one of his managers into his office and yells at him about some missing reports that he needed yesterday. And guess what? That manager leaves the office noticeably upset. He stomps right past his secretary and slams the door. She rings into his office and tells him she has an urgent message. He snarls at her, My door was closed. Can't you see I'm busy? Leave me alone. Well, the secretary didn't know what hit her. Now she's upset, and she spends the rest of the day stewing about what she could have done wrong, wondering why she had displeased her boss so. When she gets home, she's still upset. She passes her 16-year-old son's bedroom. It's a grand mess. So she hunts him down, finds him planted in front of the television set playing a video game, and she snaps on him. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, go clean your room. You're grounded from electronics until your room is spotless. Well, now the teenager's upset. He storms upstairs and heads to his bedroom. And guess who should cross his path but the family pet, Fluffy. Without warning, the teenager swings his foot back and lets fly. He gives Fluffy the cat a swift kick across the room, and fur flies as the cat skitters under the table, wondering what it had done so wrong. 
Let me ask, has this scene ever played out before in your life? Perhaps somewhere along the chain it has, hasn't it? Ziegler closes the story with this question. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier on everyone if Mr. B had simply gone to his secretary's house and kicked the cat? (laughs) Would have saved all that messy in-between where other people are hurt and hurting others. You know, in this world, bad feelings tend to transfer. When, when we have a bad day, we tend to think, oh, it's just me. I'm just having a bad day. But we don't realize how our bad day can very quickly affect others' day. And our short words can very quickly affect others. And so on, the chain reaction goes. If you're like me, you've been guilty of kicking the proverbial cat. I've also been guilty of kicking the real cat as well. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. I think it's human nature that when things go from bad to worse, we want someone to share in that experience with us. If I'm miserable, I want others to be miserable with me. And if someone else needs to feel bad in the process, so be it. And so we repay evil for evil, insult for insult. And then we act surprised when the first starts flying. You see, when we get caught up in exchanges of insults, anger, evil thoughts, and unhappiness are sure to follow. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, men cannot spit forth poison without feeling some of the venom burning their own flesh. We have only to look at the ever-lowering level of discourse in our nation's parliament. We have only to watch the news for about 20 minutes and see politicians catcall and hurl insults at each other, and all sorts of matter of, of as low as the bar can go, it seems to keep getting lower. Insult upon insult just seems to be the norm of our time. How badly our world needs to hear this precious truth from God's word and heed this instruction. To not return insult with insult. To not add more evil words on top of other evil words. We need to look no further than our Lord Jesus Christ for an example on how to behave. For when he was mocked and insulted, he opened not his mouth in reply. Sometimes the best strategy for not speaking evil is to simply do that. Keep your mouth zipped. But while that's a good first step, Peter goes further than that in verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That would be hard enough for most of us if he just stopped right there. But he goes further. He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. That got a lot harder, didn't it? It's one thing to just zip your mouth when someone says something that you want to lash back on, but it's another thing to learn to reply to that with a blessing. So the next time someone you disagree with starts talking about politics or religion or insults you in some way, the way you dress or how you spend your money or how you should be parenting your kids differently or whatever it is, I challenge you to reply graciously with a blessing or not at all. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And the more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. So learn to recognize when you are tempted to speak evil, bite your tongue, and speak words of blessing instead. For not only will this first disarm your adversary who is expecting a fight, 
When someone insults, they're typically expecting likewise in return. But when you respond graciously with a blessing, it disarms your adversary, but it also comes with a promise from God's word. Listen to this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. God's word promises us that every time we reply to an adversary with a blessing, you will inherit a blessing. Who doesn't want blessings from above? Spiritual blessings from God. Well, here it is. Verse 10. Peter's linking these two thoughts together. The blessing is this. That you will love life and see many good days. You see, to reply insult for insult is to give away our peace. Someone else is in turmoil, they're trying to drag you into their turmoil. When you reply in such, you've entered into it. You've given away your peace. But just because someone else is angry doesn't mean that you have to be. So rather than giving away your peace, obey God's word and receive his blessing. And in this, you will find your soul satisfied. Verse 11, Peter goes on. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. This instruction is expanded on in verses 13 and 14, a few verses ahead. He says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. John Wesley famously said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, As long as you can. (laughs) I think he made his point. Do good. You see, if you want to live a truly satisfying life that you love, turning away from evil is only halfway. That's half of it. And far too many professing followers of Jesus Christ get stuck here thinking that all God wants for them to do is just not sin. If I can just refrain from sin, I'm doing good. But God wants more from us. He wants us to actively and continuously seek out ways to do good for others in his name. As James 1 verse 21 and 22 states, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's a fable told of a congregation of ducks. Yes, you heard me correctly. Congregation of ducks where the duck preacher declared, We can soar high in the sky. And shouts of amen were quacked throughout the duck congregation. And the duck preacher concluded his message by exclaiming, With our wings we can fly through life. Indeed, my friends, we can fly. And more ducks quacked out loud amens in response. Every duck loved the service. In fact, all the ducks that were present commented on what a wonderfully convicting message they had heard from their duck preacher. They were so inspired, and then they left the church and waddled all the way home. Too often, we waddle away from hearing God's word. We read what it says, We hear the promises of the blessings. Yeah, that's great stuff. But we waddle away. We don't heed it. We don't do what it says. And so we rob ourselves from receiving the blessing. 
We waddle away content in the false notion that by hearing God's word and agreeing with God's word, we are somehow exempt from doing what God's word says. But James makes clear to do so is to deceive ourselves. And make no mistake, when we live in self-deception and we remain resistant to living out God's word in humble obedience, there is no true satisfaction. But listen to this. When we hear God's word, we believe God's word, and we obey God's word, putting our beliefs and our convictions into action by doing good, there comes another blessing. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. So here's another blessing. And what is it? It is that we can live life without fear. Any adversary, no matter how great, holds no intimidation for the child of God who is living a life in active obedience to the Father. You see, my friends, there is an inner peace and satisfaction that God alone gives that defies even the worst opposition and circumstances that the world or even Satan himself can throw at us. In 1555, a man named Nicholas Ridley was sentenced to be burned at the stake because of his witness for Jesus Christ. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in his prison cell to be of assistance and comfort for him on his last night on earth. Nicholas declined his brother's offer and replied simply, I mean to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever I did in this life. You see, this man experienced something that I think very few do. He knew the peace of God. He knew it in such extent that he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his father without fear, knowing that the pyre awaited him the very next day. So do you want to love the life you are living? Do you want your soul to be truly satisfied? Then let me encourage you as we we enter a new year, seek to live your life with God and for God in full obedience to his word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that all of your words are true and that for for every command you give, for every instruction, there comes with it a blessing, a spiritual blessing from above to those who would hear your word and not just go away thinking that that sounded really nice, but instead we heed your word, we obey, and we find your words are true. And they are living and active and powerful. For they have the ability to even cut through and save men's souls to those who would respond in faith. And so, Father, we here today as your children, we choose, Lord, to walk out of here today. To respond in obedience to your word. To do good. To refrain from evil. That we will exercise self-control. That we will learn to be ever more gracious with our speech. And receive your blessing, Lord that as we go out in your name, that you would use our speech and that you would use our obedience in doing good to bless others, to bring others into your kingdom, to encourage the family of God. And that through it, Lord, we will find our souls strangely satisfied and that we will truly love the life you've given us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.